You sick, buddy? We can talk about it. Oh no, you got COVID? <laughs> no, I don't. I do not have COVID. Well, I have not been tested, <laughs> but I do not think I have COVID. Okay. Uh, if you feel sick, you know, let me know so we won't hang out. Oh, I was already at your house. Wait, when? When I picked up Delhi. Oh yeah, but you you that's just travel cred. I licked your toothbrush. Uh Allison got sick after traveling, I think. Both of us got a little froggy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a reason why I'm like this, and I don't think it really has anything to do with traveling. We could talk about it. Okay. On the episode or in person? Later. Less than, on the episode. less than six feet away from each other. Could do the um, Oh I wanna I I wanna say this into your mouth. Yes. Speak directly. The mouth is the phone of the body. Yeah. If you yell hard enough into someone's mouth, I'm sure the ears will pick it up. John, is that the 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 early distant sleigh bells of old Father Winter a ringing? Is it, John? I I think it might be. I don't usually speak during this part, but yes. Why? What do you mean? Of course, you always speak when Christmas is coming soon. <laughs> You're right. And welcome back. <laughs> And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Holiday Henry. And my name's God rest ye merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, for remember Christ our Savior was born on John. And together we're Holiday Henry, and normally I repeat everything John says, but that was a long name and I was not paying attention. John, coming at you to the skulls. Wait, we're talking about Discalls? Coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of the holiday zeitgeist. The Yule Tide, if you will. Yes, that old Mule Tide. What did you think Yule meant when you were a child? Mule. Ah, so the, the, <laughs> so you thought it was Mule Tide? Thought it was, I thought they were just using a fancy word. Look, when I was a kid... When I was a kid and I heard a word I didn't know, I would think my thought process was, what word is close to that? They must be the same. <laughs> okay. I think that's that's an interesting way to look at uh, the world. For some reason, I thought Yule specifically meant a log. Is it not a ya- log? Well, Yule is just Christmas time. Oh, Okay. Uh, much like this is a Christmas beverage that I'm having a hard time opening because I just trimmed my fingernails. Here we go. I, I'm also drinking a holiday-themed beverage. 
I am drinking a holiday-themed beverage in that the hops were harvested near the holiday. That's right. We're back again with the Austin Beer Works Wet Hop IPA. I thought this was going to be off shelves by now, but apparently it's still at Trader Joe's. Maybe it's a little bit old. It's delicious. Well, that's great. I remember everything you said about it the last time, so let's not waste any time on it this time. Yes, especially not to talk about the fresh Crosby hops grown right in the Willamette Valley of uh, Oregon in this delicious brew. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. We already we already did it. And what are you drinking, Henry? Oh, thank you for asking, John. I'm fitting the the holiday theme that of foods that carry over from Thanksgiving well into Christmas even though maybe they shouldn't question mark. Um, that's right, folks. You guessed it and won. The Bishop Cider Pecan Pie Flavored Cider. Uh, now, I was recently at a Trader Joe's, uh, and I saw three people walk by that Bishop beer, point at it, and say, I tried it. It's not very good. I will have you know, John, that on the can it says, uh, vegan friendly, pecan not pecan, so points for that. Uh, and then the sort of ominous tagline, pour a slice of pie. Oh, no. Doesn't that sound delightful? Um, it. I will tell you, strong foretaste leading into a strangely bitter aftertaste. <laughs> I, I've typically found this true of a lot of uh, pecan beers noticeably absent uh, from that consideration is the 512 pecan porter uh, but a lot of pecan beers kind of have that like smooth like fatty immediate taste and a strange bitterness that doesn't come from hops and just kind of tastes like you're eating pecan shells yeah for sure it's like they think pecans have a bite to them when in reality, pecan pie is smooth from start to finish, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I think everybody knows what you're saying. I think if you really wanted to make a pecan pie beer, you would really just make it taste like caro syrup. Probably. Oh, they don't list ingredients on beer. That's right. Thanks, FDA. Well, F... Wait. FDA. DEA? Uh, could be DEA. Wait, no, I think... I think alcohol is like tobacco. No, that's arms. Wait, no, tobacco, alcohol, and firearms. Okay, that seems right. Uh, I just found another ominous message on this can. Pour directly into mouth. Okay, so not into... They're trying to keep you from seeing something if you were to pour that into a glass. I think they're trying to keep you from seeing the tiny pecan pies floating in it. Uh, I just found another... This is... I, you're going to think I'm making this up. There's yet another message. Stick it in your pie hole. Uh, that does sound like you made it up. It's still there. It's 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 there. And it says 6% alcohol by volume, 100% tasty. Well, that remains to be seen. Um, he thinks the lady doth protest too much when it comes to this beer. I don't like a beer that has three things to say. Yeah, way too many things. Way too cute with your little sayings. 
Yeah, I like a beer that just says something simple, you know, like, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime beer. The fresh, estate-grown strata hops from Crosby (laughs) Farm that we used are a moment frozen perfectly in time. If they had been picked at a different time in a different place, it would be a different beer. Thank you to Team Babby for getting them to us deep in the heart of Texas the day after they were picked in Oregon's Willamette Valley. Drink fresh, savor slowly. That's one thing. It's a long thing, but the beer's only saying one thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like the back of a wine bottle, which I think we discussed last time. Oh, actually, there is another thing here. It's a slam it in your craw, idiot. (laughs) Pour it in your gullet, fool. Oh, and there's a third one. Don't look. (laughs) (laughs) Never look. The good rule of beer. Not the rule of good beer. The good rule of beer is what must never look. Right. Way better than all those bad rules of beer, like beer before beer, beer before beer, beer. There's a lot of bad rules of beer. Brobs, yeah. if you will. What's a what's? Brobs. Bad, bad rules okay. of beer. Okay. Just give me one. Give me your top bad rule of beer. Oh, I think my number one bad rule of beer is going to be 12 bad rules of beer for dating my bad rule of beer, 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 daughter, beer. I think I think some wires crossed there, John. I don't know huh? if that I don't know if that reference quite worked. Oh no 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 no! Let me try again. Uh, clearly, my favorite bad rule of beer is twelve beers for bad my beer. My daughter beer <laughs> rules for dating my beer daughter beer teenage daughter beer Mario Lopez. All right, I feel like we'll move on, uh, John. We just passed the holiday tradition of having a Thanksgiving, uh, and in a word, I would like to ask. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, My Thanksgiving was very good. I ate a lot of food. I did something this year that... uh, I don't know if you know this about Henry. (laughs) I don't know if you know this about me, Henry. (laughs) Uh, Don't make it a bit. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me, Henry, but I do like to cook. And I always cast uh, judgment pretty harshly on people who would buy... Uh, pre-made things. Obviously, I limit my pre-mades on a Thanksgiving day uh, to whatever godless tofurkey roast we're eating that day. Uh, but otherwise, everything's pretty much made uh, by me or my little uh, helpers in the kitchen. Uh, however, this year, I bought a lot of sides from Whole Foods. Oh, cutting out the middleman. Yeah, cutting out the middleman at extreme expense, <laughs> but they were very good. Uh, do I think that I could have made better versions? Yes. Uh, do I think I saved a bit of time? Also, yes. Yeah, you you pay for the convenience of not having to do it yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. There's no shame in buying sides, or a main, or even dessert. Yeah, I think that we do have a tendency, myself included, to ascribe... Uh, value to being able to put in the time and effort in a kitchen to cook something. Uh, But that's classist, and in some cases, ableist of people. Food is food. If you buy your food, great. If you make your food, great. Yeah, the important thing about Thanksgiving is not how the food is made, or even who you're eating with. It's just eating. You have to eat on Thanksgiving. That's the only requirement. 
Yeah, that is the meaning of the day, is the eating. The meaning right. is the eating. Some people will lead you astray, and they'll say, like, getting together with loved ones, or watching football, or even, like, there has to be turkey. Throw all of these rules about Thanksgiving in the garbage, because the only rule is that you have to eat. Yeah, it's a no-holds-barred battle between the world and your mouth. Yes. You must eat, and you must eat a lot. You gotta eat it all. Oh, to the to the point of exhaustion. Yeah, to the people are always like, oh, the turkey makes me so sleepy. It's like, no, if you're doing it right, it's the eating itself that makes you sleepy because you you're eating for a straight hour. Yeah, you're eating like it's a sport, and for some people, it is a sport. <laughs> but usually, those people are eating soggy hot dogs. That's true, and I feel like that happens on a different day. Probably. I, I bet there's Fourth like a Thanksgiving-themed uh, competitive eating thing. There's gotta be. I don't want to see it if there is. That sounds like the most disgusting thing I've ever heard of. You don't want to see people gulping down big stringy handfuls of turkey? Yeah, washing it down, like drinking gravy straight from the boat. Uh, I did... Uh... I've never done this before, but I think that I'm transforming as a human in that I did drink some amount of gravy directly from a boat this Thanksgiving, and it was oh, great. No, I, I So, funny you bring this up. I have been gravy resistance, resistant most of my life. Um, I don't know if it's because I grew up in South Louisiana where gravy isn't really a mainstay of like the, the, the cuisine that we, we have, or if it was just like my household or what, but we were... Really, we're not. We weren't a big gravy family, and I've never really tried it. But man, I had some on some mashed potatoes this year, John. Gravy is good. I'm I'm glad to hear you're a convert. We were talking a little bit about no gravy. Uh, what well, <laughs> you you were doing? No gravy November. Uh, we were talking. I failed. About. I want to. I want to tell you. I failed. No gravy November. I um. Yeah. I. Wow. It's Listen, good. there are a lot of doctors who tell you some amount of gravy is actually healthy. Yeah, I heard if you eat gravy every day, the odds that you get prostate cancer go down. Yeah, but your, your palms are covered in gravy hair. Yeah, uh, and, and all you can see is gravy. <laughs> yeah, just gravy boats. Uh, I am have been a longtime uh, gravy advocate. I'm a big fan of gravy. I think, honestly, as far as... Uh, our relationship with food in the United States of America, as far as like middle American cuisine goes, we could stand to have more gravy. Like if you go to most fancy restaurants, especially French ones, there's a demi-glace on everything. And a demi-glace is just a gravy with some gelatin in it. So just oh. have more gravy. Right. It's built into the high-end restaurants. I mean, when you have a good beef stew, the liquid component of the stew is basically gravy. What is gravy but just a sauce? What is gravy but uh, meat residue persisting? Sure. I don't know what gravy's made of, and I don't want to know. It's it's pretty simple. The gravy that I usually make is mushroom gravy, because I am who I am. And that's who you are. But mushroom gravy, delicious. Really, as long as you get like a good roux going, anything makes a good gravy. Ugh, I love gravy. Oh, roux. You need that for gumbo. Yeah, you also need it for uh, for gravy. You need a roux for a bechamel. It's the start to a lot of great sauces, soups, and stews. 
I had no idea. I thought I honestly thought it was just for gumbo. See, gravy and gumbo closer than you might think. Maybe next time yeah. you have some gumbo, put a little gravy on that gumbo. I think what happens is, uh, so we know how to make a roux, but every time we make a roux, we just make the jump to gumbo. We for, we just skip over gravy and go to gumbo. I, I think there's a happy medium. I think you can bring gravy into your life. We will, in the form of on-mashed potatoes and nothing else. I will defend my choice to drink from a gravy boat in that uh, once my fiancé and I had finished our Thanksgiving meal, which, by the way, uh, I know that it's great to be around uh, family or friends. A traditional Thanksgiving or Friendsgiving is the way to go. There is something to be said for just making a shit ton of food and just sitting across from the person you love and just going to town on this food. No judgment. No, <laughs> no one cares. The dogs are outside. It's great. Yeah, no, it sounds wonderful. I've never quite done it for myself. Um, but yeah, no, I, I talked about the uh, the advantages of staying in this year rather than going somewhere because we did travel for Thanksgiving. We visited the the homeland of my my of Jamie's family, um, a land that I will describe to you now, John, who has never been there, and most of my fans are fans who have never been there. Uh, imagine a large house on the top of a mountain, John. Uh-huh. Outside, it's a crisp 30 degrees, uh, especially at night. It's very cold. Uh, but inside this house on this mountain, it is a constant 80 degrees. Oh, that doesn't sound very pleasant. Uh, the heater is set up so that once it cycles down, it immediately cycles right back up. I was there really is, excited for this to sound pleasant. There is no break. It, there, there was a point on that first night that we were there. Uh, it, it was like 40 degrees outside, and I cracked a window <laughs> because I had literally dried out. I, I just can't imagine. It's like, wait, are you sure this house isn't an oven and you were the turkeys <laughs> on this Thanksgiving's day? That would not surprise me uh, because, and I know this uh, from experience, most people dry out their turkeys. Yeah, you uh, you were losing a lot of moisture. Yeah. I woke up each morning with more of my throat sore and more of my head stuffed with mucus that by the time we got home four days later, I felt like I had like a cold or something. But I'm pretty sure it's it was just the sole fact that each night the heater was set to like 80 degrees. Now, were there a lot of fans running in this house, a lot of circulation generally in addition to the heat, maybe to combat the heat? I don't know if there's a single ceiling fan in that house, John. Oh, I was going to say if there were fans going, there's no worse combination than high heat and a fan because then you're getting air fried. Yeah, so at least there was definitely not a fan in the bedroom we stayed in. What kind uh, of psychopath owns this house? Two elderly people who are in their late 70s, early 80s, maybe older. Um, but you know what they say about old people. They're cold. And they like it hot. <laughs> the old like it hot. Yeah. So 
because it's their house and they control the thermostat and I do not begrudge them this at all because yes, there is, you know, they've lived a very long time. They deserve to be comfortable for sure. I am not going to begrudge them that. I suffered in silence. And then uh, the kicker is due to a bunch of travel delays and a bunch of complications, we ended up getting back to our house at like 1 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And uh, what, when we landed, the on when we landed, I I went onto my app that controls my thermostat at my house, and I had turned off the thermostat the entire time we were gone. So I was like, "All right, it's probably cold in the house. Let's kick it up to 70. Uh, not foreseeing the troubles we would run into. Uh, and we got in at one, went straight to bed, and I forgot to turn the heater off. No. So I I finalized. I like put a nice char on myself <laughs> yeah you turned the broiler on last couple of minutes and so monday morning i woke up and i f- had no energy head full of mucus sore sore throat all the way down and uh the the thought struck my mind that i need to call in sick but i know i can't because i just traveled and i don't want anyone to think i have covid <laughs> yeah i think that's fair i mean uh but if they thought you had COVID, then yeah. maybe that would have been good. I don't know. It's a weird part of me. The weirdest part of me. I don't I don't understand this part of me at all. Um I hate breaks in my routine. I I can understand that. I think I used to be that way to a certain degree. So like I, I knew what the Monday was going to entail. I knew what my work day was going to be like on Monday. And I didn't want to disrupt that because, like, I, I'm prepared for it. I know that. So I'm not going to throw a wrench into that by calling in sick. So I didn't. And I feel better today. And I feel like I'm going to feel better tomorrow, too. I think there was a a time in the early 20th century when the car was uh, just being proliferated where cars would go, you know, like 25 miles an hour or something. And there were a lot of people who said, oh, you can't make a car do that because the human body isn't meant to go that fast. It, The human body will die if it goes that fast. Right, right. Uh, and I think that they were wrong. However, I think they might have been right about air travel. Uh, because every time I come back from being on a flight anywhere... I have some kind of illness and it's not an illness that could be ascribed to like a virus because it's gone in like less than 48 hours. And I don't know what it is, but human beings were not meant to travel. Oh yeah. No, I I've always felt like the body has to catch or like the, the, the post flight exhaustion that always sets in. I've always attributed to like the body has moved faster than the mind can comprehend. So like, we it's a fact of your life that you're now several hundred miles in, you know, like away from where you were this morning and and like your body is physically there but like your mind is reeling from that it's like an eldritch horror thing where you simply can't comprehend moving that fast and so you're you're that tired and i think there there is like a little bit of like a, a travel crud that you catch that that uh, along the way there I mean, it's also possible that the brain perceives that movement and goes, whew, we must have ran really fast. We should, <laughs> we should take a break. 
But see, like the the, the the yeah, you don't get that like driving to work or riding the train to work, which is kind of a, a comparable thing. Like it, it's it's got to be on such a scale that you're literally like going across states in a couple of hours that where it really kicks in. Yeah, I I don't know what it is though. All of this to say, uh, I'm very excited to travel again soon. Except there's a new COVID variant. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Before we get to the Omicron, we um, we don't need to talk about the the Omicron conspiracy. So, uh, I was excited to travel, John. I can imagine. I was very excited. I was so excited to travel that despite three out of four flights total across the week being delayed, I was still excited to like, ooh, I get to go somewhere. It's it's nice. I, I don't know. There was a – I definitely traveled during the pandemic and every time I did it was for like a dire need or a yeah. wedding that couldn't be rescheduled for some reason. Right, right. Uh but every time I traveled, it was like, I am doing a like potentially life-altering, selfish thing, and I can't feel good about it. And I'm finally getting to a point where I'm, travel feels like kind of safe and good again, and I'm excited to do it. Like, I'm looking at booking a flight to Denver or something, even though Denver is maybe where me and my fi- fiancé caught COVID before anyone knew what it was. I don't know. Uh, but I'm I'm excited. COVID, yeah. I get it. Yeah, you know, it's fun. It it feels like the world is opening up again. And then you realize, you know, while you were excited to travel again, yeah, a new COVID strain popped up in Europe and then everybody blamed South Africa, even though all they did was identify it. Yeah, it's really funny how uh, media outlets can spin usage of the word discovered. Yeah, they were just pointing out, hey, we found this in our community. You guys should check yours. And everyone was like, oh, no one from South Africa is allowed to do anything anymore. Even though it's uh, all over Europe. I don't know. I uh, I don't know. We don't have to talk about it. That's not what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I don't know that you or I is go- are going to bring anything meaningful to the Omicron discussion. No, no. I'm just saying Delta variant fell off. Who cares? Delta variant's time is over. Yeah, now it's time for Omnicrom. And now, eventually, we'll go through all the Greek letters, and we'll have so many variants. I feel like we're only 11 away from Omega. (laughs) Oh, Omega's the bad one. (laughs) Omega's the one that's going to be like, all right, maybe we should have put a stop to this before, huh? Yeah, the Omega variant is immediately going to turn you into a werewolf. It is true. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, but not for the people you kill. They'll just become werewolves. Werewolves kill. Sometimes they bite. When they bite, they turn into people and the werewolves? Yeah, when they bite, the people turn into werewolves. But usually, I don't know, that's like the difference between vampires and werewolves, is werewolves seem to want to kill, and if someone escapes, then they'll turn into a werewolf. But vampires, like, choose whether they want to kill somebody or turn them into a vampire. Interesting, much to consider. Yeah, vampires are dicks, werewolves are just monsters. Yeah, they're great. Werewolves are great. There's no downside to becoming a vampire, just like there's no downside to becoming a werewolf. Well, you're right. We, we've discussed this before, and I will not discuss it further. <laughs> we could fight about this for a while, but I think we can both agree that the best one to be is, of course, 
A mummy, moving on. You're right. Actually, agree to agree, the mummy. Nobody wants organs. Uh, Everybody so wants jewels. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mummies have, historically, a lot of jewels. Oh, okay. You're right. <laughs> Again. <laughs> uh, but John, yes, Thanksgiving and all well, of the... Well, the existing mummies. A lot of mummies <laughs> get burned on those mummy trains. What? So, <laughs> do, do, you, do you know about this? I know mummies were eaten for beef jerky, but what? A lot of, uh, I don't know if this is true. Oh, they were used for fuel. Yeah, fuel on trains. There were so many mummies in Africa, uh, in like North Africa, that they would just like chop up the mummies and throw them in trains. That's insane. I also know people ate them. Yeah, but they'd be pretty good beef jerky. That almost seems like what they're meant for. Oh, God. I mean, they could be. It's like, listen, you're, you're beef jerky. Uh, but honestly, if ancient Egyptians, uh, actual beliefs about the afterlife, which is the state of your body, is the state of your body in the afterlife. Does yeah. that mean that someone's just chilling out with all their uh, pharaoh friends in the afterlife for like 1,200 years and then just a little strip gets taken off? <laughs> a little bite mark show up. <laughs> or they spontaneously catch on fire. They're like, oh, he got trained. Yeah. It's like, oh man, I hope that, oh, I can see them. <laughs> They're finding my tomb now. God, oh. me, damn it. <laughs> I'm either going to be jerky or burned in a train. Maybe at least I'll be in a museum. Right. Like, Tutankhamun is just chilling with his weird, sickly 13-year-old body in the afterlife. I just hope they don't crack open my sarcophagus and slurp my juice. <laughs> oh, God. Gross. Super gross. All right. On that note, Thanksgiving has come and passed, John. It is time for us to enter what I affectionately call the no man's land, the DMZ of the year. Ah, uh, yes. The time of year where you don't know if you should really be doing or planning anything about your life. And you also don't know which people at work are taking work seriously or not or how hard you should be working at work no one's really on the same page about anything yeah we're at the time of year where i'm hearing people discuss like future plans at work and the thought pops into my head oh that sounds exciting can't wait to start on that next year yeah there's nothing to be done this year like at I, my job i'm currently over a pilot that's happening over this time it's like what are you doing no one works during this time. Yeah. We're, I mean, teachers know. Teachers know that, like, for students, it's just not even plausible to teach new information. So they do a lot of reviewing of old information in preparation for, like, final tests and stuff. Because there's just no way to get kids to concentrate. They just had Thanksgiving. Christmas is literally, like, three weeks away, basically. Like, it's just... There's nothing that's going to get done right now. Yeah, and for people who have to get things done, it feels unfair because you see other people who are able to deprioritize projects until the new year. It's like, I wish I was you. Yeah, no. I, I, I told uh, my wife earlier that like I kind of t treat this time as like this weird sort of hibernation state where like I don't want to do anything between now and Christmas break. I just want to skip straight to it. These days don't count. 
I am not physically present. And it's crazy because it's like a month. That is rather insane say, hearing a you twel- say that. A 12th of the year, we're like, this doesn't count. Yeah. No, I, for for real. You know, I, I always, my favorite time of the year, and I can say this with absolute certainty, is the time between Christmas and New Year's. It, because I, I just described this month as a no man's land. The week between Christmas and New Year's is timeless. Nobody knows what day it is. Nobody knows what hour it is. Everyone's just slurping eggnog first thing in the morning and then just coasting right into like an evening supper. It, that is the perfect state of being. I mean, I've been thinking about it, and I don't think it could be held against me if I went to my boss. I was like, can I just take all the time between Christmas and New Year's off? Like, no one's going to be doing anything, and my job kind of relies on other people to be doing things, so... Bye. Right. No, I I think it's a shame anyone has to work between Christmas and New Year's. Because I feel like it should be like a collective holiday for everyone. Just nothing gets done. We all agree to spend time doing whatever the fuck we want. And then like we'll see you in the new year. And we'll pick up strong because we'll be relaxed after having this week off. I mean, I do think, obviously, I'm a believer in the uh, efficacy of the academy, the efficacy of organized education, structured organized education. And I think that uh, the spring, summer, and Christmas breaks are kind of essential for human existence, because I think that human beings obviously were meant to have a lot more leisure than we have. Yeah, So, I like, hear when that. you're a kid and you have summer break, it's like, you live during summer break and if we all had like three months off consecutively a year i feel like not only would we be happier but like we'd return to work with a new a new zeal there i think often to the fact that there was a there was considered to be this like biphasic or like two-part sleep schedule that people were considered to have in the early 20th century where you would sleep for like four or five hours and then you would wake up and you'd be awake and active for two or three hours, and you'd use that time to, like, smoke or read or have sex or go for a walk, or just things you didn't have, like, time or space to do. It was a two- or three-hour period of the day that was entirely dedicated to leisure that happens at, like, one or two in the morning. Yeah. And I think that sounds amazing. The witching hour. Yeah, the the screwing around and reading books three hours. <laughs> no. I, you're absolutely right. Like there have been studies done that's that show that uh, the modern day worker works way more hours than your typical medieval serf. Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, leisure time was baked baked into their schedule so they wouldn't fucking revolt. Yeah, I mean, we as as a matter of course, I think human beings should be given significantly more leisure and if we can do anything to take this time between thanksgiving to christmas and then more importantly christmas to new year's to ourselves we should do that yeah absolutely it's time for us unleisured people to rise up and unionize around leisure time we need to unionize around leisure time except i do have a product launch i have to care about but other than that right 
I'll right. try my best. I've got several things on my plate that I should care about, but like I, I told a coworker today, like I'll be honest with you, I checked out the week before Thanksgiving, and that's kind of kind of continue until like right after New Year's. I don't give a fuck about anything that's happening at work right now. I mean, good on you for being honest. I appreciate the week of Thanksgiving, how transparent my work was with people are just not working. How transparent were they? I mean, people were just very clearly canceling meetings, putting huge blocks of out-of-office time on their calendars, and just every meeting was people being like, yeah, sounds good. Yep. Yep. You know, I appreciate the work you've done. This sounds good. Uh, we'll talk about this in a week, two weeks, I don't know. Okay, bye. That's really cool. I really like that. That, see, that that's a positive work environment. <laughs> uh, so uh, far, I don't know. There's problems, but I, I appreciate yeah. what the work-life balance seems to be. I mean, there there always be problems, but uh, yeah, that's way better than uh, my boss, who before and after the holiday made the same joke. So you're going to work on this over the break, right? And oh, then well. after the break, he was like, so did anybody work on anything during the break? And oh, like, yeah. he kind of, he was laughing, but like he could, you could kind of tell he expected somebody to speak up. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a classic ploy. And I know we end up in this trap on this podcast, a lot of talking about the evils of the private managerial class. Uh, but it's a, it's a classic management strategy of joking about a work taboo that results in productivity. And then you can always fall back on the I'm joking defense. But if, like, you walk up to your team, you're like, hey, anybody want to put in a late night? I'll order some Chipotle. Ha 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 ha. Which right. they lose nothing from that interaction. However, you as a worker gain a seed of doubt that makes you think maybe you should work a little later. Right. For sure. No. A any jokes about working longer or doing things over the break or comments just honestly don't comment about the break other than have a good one you know i'd like to make this a, a blanket rule of life just don't comment it's not your place never talk if you are my boss don't talk about my life i'm just saying if you're anyone just don't talk <laughs> i'm saying Commenting is over. Keep your little comments to yourself. I'm good. Henry? Oh, you want me to comment? Not anymore. <laughs> damn it, you got me. God damn it. <laughs> Moratorium hadn't started yet. I well, I was I thought it was immediate. No, you were just committing a major social faux pas. Oh, uh, not talking back? Yeah. You <laughs> okay, the rule is speak only when spoken to, but also no one speak. So then if no one speaks, no one will be spoken to. I don't want to work for you, John. It sounds confusing. I've been told many times that I would be a horrible manager. <laughs> it Was that by managers, though? No, priests. Okay. What? Yeah. Okay, weird. Priests can tell. That's their power? Yeah. If you've never asked a priest for career advice, I highly recommend it. I need to find a priest. They're pretty easy to find. Usually look for a church. 
What does that look like? Uh, it's like a building, but pointier. A spire. And they're usually speaking either Latin or Spanish inside. <laughs> okay. Or Greek. They speak Greek sometimes, too. Hebrew? Um, yeah. That's a, well, that's a rabbi. My bad. Okay, let's have this out on the podcast right now. I know all of our listeners have been wanting to hear this debate. Do all religions have priests? No. What religion doesn't have a priest? Judaism has rabbis. Okay, is a rabbi a priest? Uh-uh. What's a priest? <laughs> uh. Oh. 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 <laughs> Oh. Because every, re every religion has a priest. <laughs> wow. See, you I it. you solved religion. <laughs> I see I didn't know because I grew up in a in a background that had pastors. Those are just priests. And brothers and sisters. Less sisters than brothers, but you know. Okay, I don't know. I can't problem. comment. Can't count on the brothers and sisters, but a pastor is a priest. I was Baptist. Well, I went to a Baptist church, and then I would go home to my parents who were Catholic, and they'd be like, everything you learned today is bullshit. <laughs> I, I think the Catholic church would make a distinction saying, like, priests have, like, devoted their whole lives to God, and they cannot marry, whereas, like, pastors are like, you can, we, we got a whole family. I, that's a really good pastor impression. I grew up with reverends, so I, don't, I, I honestly can't tell you. Oh, does every religion have a reverend? There's a reverend person in every religion. Hey. Is a reverend just an especially reverend person? I don't know, man. This is comedy poison we're talking about. This is not this is not How did we get on the subject? I have no idea. Talking about priests. Oh, because they give good business advice. Yes. Yeah. So yes. November <laughs> Starting at the end of November until the the beginning of January, just give give everyone those that whole period off. Yeah, in fact, assign them work, and the work is get as far away from work as possible. Yeah, I, I, you've heard the the legends about these so called mythical European countries where uh, everyone will just take the month of July off. That should be. What we have. December? Well, actually, starting on the day after Thanksgiving until the day after New Year's Day, that should be an American nationwide holiday. Absolutely. I think the issue being that uh, we as Americans don't tend to do the things that European countries do when it comes to getting uh, days off and benefits, which is riot. Yeah, we should riot. We should let's. We can adopt from the French. Let's bring out the guillotines. The French are. This is one of the few times that I will gas up the French because you know how I feel about the French. I don't know if I do. They were one of the most dominant militaries in the world. I feel like they get a raw deal just because of World War II. But I think the French really get it right because anytime people are like. We're going to take away one of your 
87 government mandated holidays. They're like, all right, uh, everyone in my apartment complex, here's a baton and a Molotov cocktail. We'll just go out and set a car on fire and then we won't lose that day. Yeah. Yeah, there should be more. Yeah. It's a shame that protesting gets such a bad rep in America because, like, we were protesting as infants uh, as a country. I mean, we have a a five-day, 40-hour work week because of protests and union action. Yeah. At at some point, we got convinced that we can't do anything to our employers, but that's not true. Right. I I mean, this is a country that was formed by protest. The, The Boston Tea Party was a protest. Like, people... When uh, when protest happens and, like, destruction of private property happens as a result and then those protesters are are, are labeled as rioters, it's just like, what, what do you feel strongly about the Boston Tea Party? Because they destroyed private property. Yeah, but that tea wasn't a target, Henry. I have strong feelings about a target. I care more about a target than I do people's individual liberty, bodily autonomy, and right not to be murdered. Well, I guess that's your personal belief. I, for one, think America should be a country of protesting. Yeah, I also think that generations previous to us were a lot less afraid to go to prison, which I think we could stand to change a little bit. Personally, I'm terrified of going to prison. I don't want to go to prison. I watched The Night Of. Yeah, it seems pretty bad. I I was so afraid for the protagonist of The Night Of because he did what he had to do to survive prison. And then he shows up, like, in court and he looks, you know, he it's a different world in court. And, like, it's just, thank God his lawyer was like, I, I look at him and see a person who was just trying to survive. I don't see a thug at all. I, I like, mean, it, thank goodness someone was on Riz Ahmed's side. It's, it's fallen out of the public awareness since it came out a number of years ago, but the night of probably like one of the best limited series on television ever made Riz Ahmed's career. He's great. I only know his name because of that series. He's great. I also think he's in a, hip-hop group called like the bird shop boys i'll look it up later i don't know if that's true but also the man whose name i'm about to botch you know uh john took a little my neighbor totoro uh-huh <laughs> my neighbor john totoro yeah uh he was good and i liked him he was fun uh john totoro's great Love John Turturro, got a lot of messed up feet stuff going on yeah. in the night of. Do not seek the treasure. Ugh. Is this podcast just us talking about actors we like? Not yet, but it will be. John, we're, we're wrapping up our Thanksgiving No Man's Land talk for a little bit of like, what, woo, a little bit of what I like to call uh, some actually relevant news. Actually relevant news. Yes, the only thing that kind of broke Sweat during... Sweatshop Boys is the name of his. Oh, no. Group. Oh, yikes. I mean, it's fine. Okay. They're saying they work as hard as... I don't want to interpret their name. They have a song called Birding that's pretty good anyway. That's why you thought they were called Birdshop Boys. Uh-huh. All right. The only news that sort... Whew, excuse me. 
I don't know what's happening. The only news that broke over the Thanksgiving break that had any sort of relevance to anything we care about, John, is that legendary Sony producer, executive producer, don't know her title, Amy Pascal, sat down for an interview, John. Oh? You might recognize Pascal for Pascal, blah, 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 blah. Pascal Productions, uh, the production company who produced a little movie called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ooh, I did not recognize the uh, production company name, but now I do. Yes, Amy Pascal, for all intents and purposes at Sony, is the Spider-Man person. Uh Uh-huh. And she sat down with a little outlet we like to call Fandango? Fandango? I don't know what it's called. I don't read news. I think Fandango, probably. Wait, let me look. It's actually mentioned in this article. Fandango. Fandango? Dang. Ding. Dang. Dango? Fandango. Dingo. <laughs> this is comedy poison. Okay, okay, continue. Um, So, you might have heard... A little bit of some some murmurs that Tom Holland, he was like, I don't know if I'm going to be Spider-Man again after this. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Amy Pascal sat down with Fandango and said, uh, hey, this is not the last movie that we're going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. It just isn't part of, and then she stops, she she didn't continue. She stopped that sentence, and then she started a new sentence. We're thinking of this as three films, referring to uh, Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. Uh-huh. And now we're going to go on to the next three. Okay. This is not the last of our MCU movies, Basically, all but confirming, or actually confirming, John, a new Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, I like a new Spider-Man trilogy. She said yes, Tom Holland? She did mention Tom Holland's name. Oh, okay. Interesting. She did. She did. That she affirmatively referenced Thomas Holland. I, uh, I'm... Always in for a new Spider-Man trilogy, even though I didn't uh, particularly uh, care about in that I never saw the Andrew Garfield movies. I've never seen them either. We're in the same boat in that regard. I'd have no idea if they're good or not. But we've covered this extensively on the podcast. You and I, both huge Spider-Man fans. Uh, favorite superhero of mine is the 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 classic web crawler, uh, which is which is his name. Uh, yeah, big Spider Man fans love a Spider Man trilogy. Uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man trilogy, obviously, uh, the one that is finished <laughs> that I've seen. You've. <laughs> You just said, Tobey Maguire, man, Spider-Man trilogy, the one that is, the one that is, <laughs> the one that is, has finished, uh, you know, I was going to sing its praises, but that third movie is quite bad. Yeah, I, the first, look, the second Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man 2, is like a masterclass of filmmaking. 
Oh, classic. Catch it on UMD. Yeah, it's really... <laughs> God damn it. It's really good. It's really good. Now, Spider-Man 1 and, and 3 are... They're there. They're yeah. fine. I think 1's fine. 1's fine. They were they were kind of some of the best superhero movies we had. I mean, they were like our only... They were our only conception of, like, big, connected superhero movies at that time. Yeah, like, there was the Chris Nolan Batman, which I think came a little bit later. But, yeah, they they towed the line between serious and campy, and Tobey Maguire was adequate. as a He wasn't as quippy as I wanted. I, you know, I really love a quippy Spider-Man. You love a quippy Spider-Man, but, okay, so... I'll use this to air a grievance that I have. So I'm excited for a new Spider-Man trilogy. In that, I'm excited for maybe Tom Holland to not be Spider-Man. Not that I don't think he's a good Spider-Man. I think that he's quite good. Very quippy. uh, Very unsure of himself. However, I think that these new Spider-Man movies like miss a huge point of the character of Spider-Man in a way that I don't care for. Uh, So I hope a new trilogy fixes that. Well, okay, so you you have to delineate that. Uh, What do you feel like these current Spider-Man movies, and there's only been two so far, are missing? I feel like the thing about Spider-Man that at least makes the character, and this is true for every uh, spidered person, uh, Miles Morales, uh, your Spider-Gwens, they make it on their own. They they work for themselves. And I think I know that we hate to rehash origin stories right now because we had to sit through so many of them. But I think like robbing Peter Parker of losing a father figure and then replacing that father figure with a Tony Stark loses a lot of that character. He has someone like largely taking care of him uh from like the introduction of that character on. And I want more Peter Parker just kind of doing his own thing in New York and not being cared for by a benefactor. I hear what you're saying. And there, this was a grievance that some people shared on the onset of, of homecoming. It's like, Oh, he's just another Iron Man. Basically. He's got like the super smart suit that talks to him. But then like at the end of homecoming, he kind of, he, he gives that suit back. And you think, okay, he's going to make it on his own. But then at the end of Far From Home, he basically gets a, a super smart suit again. And yeah, I, I can see that. I think hopefully going forward, we're going to see more of that Spider-Man on his own, improvising, using his smarts. But I think one thing that – one major difference between this Spider-Man and other Spider-Man we've seen, at least for me – that this Spider-Man is so young. Yeah, very young. Very young Spider-Man. And like he he, sh- he showed in moments that he can stand alone, but I I think he might be too young to have the confidence to to forego the benefactors and just stand on his own two feet. But maybe we'll see that more in the future. Like with, of course, Tony Stark's kind of passing. And we're going to move on from that whole corner of the MCU, I think. Like, I don't think we're going to see Pepper Potts or Happy going forward. We're kind of, they'll be folded into the background. And Spider-Man's going to have to find a way to continue on on his own. But that's just me spitballing 
and trying to trying to save Tom Holland, who is, I think, one of the the best young Spider Mans I've ever I've ever witnessed. I would love to keep a Tom Holland, but I also think that there's been a lot of work done to prepare the world for the fact that Spider Man, the character that you and I know as Peter Parker, is kind of dead. Like, I, I think that there's been a lot of expensive groundwork set uh, by Sony to tell us, like, hey, the future of Spider-Man is not Peter Parker. Uh, the future of Spider-Man is, in fact, Miles Morales. I mean, that could be. That would be fine. I would love the next trilogy of Spider-Man movies to be Tom Holland in a mentor role, or maybe even like a like a distant uncle role to a, to a Miles Morales. I'd love that. I would love to have a big budget superhero movie uh, based on like a a legacy character like Spider-Man, but as a Miles Morales. I'd love it. I don't think we're going to see that in the MCU. And uh, I, I also I like I agree. I like the story plot line. I really do. And I like it so much because I experienced it in the video game Miles Morales. I still don't have a PS5. I can't comment. I know, but that that is largely the story of that game. Um, and and the reason why I say I don't think we're going to see that in the MCU is because of the people still in, and this is just me. This is pure speculation. But of the characters who are left after like Tony Stark and Steve Rogers are are out of the MCU, you y- you need. Peter Parker to be the through line. You need a name. You, uh, you know, you, you need somebody. Forward, I think going forward, you need a strong character who has a lot of clout, who every household name going back decades, you know, if you talk to your grandfather, your grandfather knows this character. I think that you're right. We do need a big legacy name to tie the brand around. I think that's, of course, Kingo. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I think if we're, if we're talking about a character that everybody knows, <laughs> you know, you could stop any old Joe Schmo on the street and be like, "Superhero, they're like Kingo." Yeah, Kingo's their go-to. Yeah, Kingo's the go-to. So you gotta, right. if you can rally them around Kingo, I think you can make a Miles Morales movie happen. Here, here's the. Th- I, I don't. I think Miles Morales can be introduced. I'm not saying he shouldn't be. I'm just saying with the age that they cast Peter Parker, him being like in high school, I think they're banking on Tom Holland carrying them through until we get to an an adult and a more mature Peter Parker. Um, and like at the end of the next trilogy, because he's not there now. He's not. He, I don't think he's wise enough or old enough to be a mentor yet. I think if Miles Morales was was introduced at this point where we are, like I haven't, you know, with with No Way Home about to come out, I think I think he's too young. He's too young to take on that mentorship. Yeah, and I think Tom Holland's only like twenty five or twenty six. So you know, right? I I, I get it. So so if this if this whole experiment of Marvel is going to keep going forward, I think there will come a time. I mean Tom Holland's going to get well he won't he, he might get bored with the role, you know, he might want to walk away and work on other projects. Um and when that time comes, that would be a good time to bring in 
a Miles Morales and yeah. have him do one movie where like he passes off the mantle and then hopefully keeps like living in universe because I'm I you know it's the ultimate universe that Miles Morales was first introduced in where like Peter Parker dies and he has to take up the mantle good for a one time story doesn't have to be the only time Miles Morales ever exists absolutely <laughs> yeah that's what I really like about the video game Miles Morales is that you have both Peter Parker and Miles both being Spider-Man and it works very well. It he doesn't Peter Parker doesn't have to die every time Miles Morales enters the scene. Listen, comic book writers, I want to make something perfectly clear. A character does not have to die yeah. for a character to do a similar job. Right. Like I, I I'm excited that they've announced the Iron Heart uh, Disney Plus series uh, because Iron Heart is basically like a new um, an, an Iron Man for a new age, like a, a, a more modern age. But it is kind of a bummer that like Tony Stark is dead while they're doing it. Like it would be neat to see those two characters interact, but yeah. now that can't happen. You know, I uh, I don't know I don't know what future we're going to march into with the Disney Plus stuff. Yeah, like I feel like there's there's good, yeah, and I'm excited. I used to have a, to have a bead on this stuff, like with the Infinity Saga. I used to kind of like be able to plot it out and kind of predict, and I was wrong every every time. But I was confident before I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, you had limited data points, and I feel like as someone who likes comic books, is not slavishly devoted to them, likes Marvel movies, is in no way slavishly devoted to them. Like I was able to like follow the beats these movies pretty simple and i could like feel like an expert walking into these things and now i like turn on my roku i'm like there's a hawkeye show yeah there's so much like i used you know i liked knowing like oh man thanos somebody told thanos like to, to attack earth would be to court death i know what that means because i'm familiar with thanos and like his whole thing that he's got going on and then the, you know they changed that and they probably changed it for the better uh, but now it's kind of like, yeah, I'll watch an Eternals movie and I'm like, I don't know who the fuck any <laughs> of these people are. Why is, why is Rob Stark? Like he's still alive in this movie. That's surprising. He died in Game of Thrones. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> I mean, I, I think everyone's aware. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in a position where like I watched a uh, Shang-Chi recently and I enjoyed that movie greatly, uh, much more the first half, but I was definitely thinking, like, who's this movie for? Yeah. <laughs> like, I I don't feel like I know where these things are headed anymore, but at least we have Kingo. At least we have Kingo. At the end of the day, we have Kingo, um, and I will always applaud the decision by one actor, Kamel Nanjiani, to get just remorsely jacked to shoot laser blast from his fingers. <laughs> I get so jacked to stand in front of a green screen for 17 hours a day. Listen, I'm not a hater. I'm trying to get remorsefully jacked and I won't even make millions of dollars off of it. Exactly. Yeah, you're just doing it the, the poor man's way, which is for all the... The boring benefits, like maybe uh, a better quality of life down the road. No, I'm just trying to lift more weight than all the old people at my YMCA. 
Oh, that's impossible. Those people have been working on that shit forever, John. I feel like I really this is this is my YMCA rant. I okay. really feel like every time I've beaten all the old people, one like real tank old person shows up. And you know, they're like 45 to 55 and they like really show it. I'm like, "Damn, I guess oh no, that's how you become the old people at the y- the YMCA. The constant chasing the strength of those older than you and then eventually you do become old and strong." But then I what was to, it all for? I hate to break it to you, John, but that's how they keep existing. Every time a young person goes in there and like does their best rep, all of that energy that they expend gets distributed amongst the older people in the crowd. And then they in turn cement that, that strength by outdoing the young person. And that means the gains are permanent for all of the old people. Oh no. Does this mean I'm trapped in these old people's phylactery? Just, just, uh, the gain, the gains that you, Only the gains that you make at a YMCA gets trapped in the old person's phylactery. Okay, and of course we know that Kingo works out the YMCU. Anyway, I'll be here all week. That was pretty good. The young men's cinematic universe. You know what's sad? Yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) Eternals, by all objective measures, was a very good film what's sad is that it it got review bombed on like rotten tomatoes and all these user aggregated score you know movie review sites and it didn't make headlines that it got reviewed bombed so there are people out there who think eternals is a bad film I uh I don't even know what drives people to review bomb movies anymore. I know. It had a woman director and it had people of color as protagonist and it featured uh some atypical romantic structures. All of those things piss off the the same people who review bomb things. Here's uh here's something that I actually kind of mean, but it sounds bad when I say it. I don't think just anybody should be able to review things. I think you're right. In a weird way. Like, I... The the thing is, criticism is easy, as the rat movie has told us, but I think that criticism is like a, a really important tool culturally. So just in the same way that, like, any anyone can cook, right? Yeah, that's but, that, that is Ratatouille. But there's not an instant platform to shove the food that you cooked out of spite into people's mouths. Like the the gates of criticism are wide open. So like if you're some Joe Schmo, some racist, sexist asshole who wants to review bomb a movie for fun, it gets baked into this aggregate score that gets fed to hundreds of thousands of people. Like Criticism is the only one of the only ways where your shitty little opinion can affect the actions of others with almost no gatekeeping. For real. It, I mean, you're right. Like you can have a blog spot or whatever. You can have a blog where you review like your favorite movies that 
fit your sexist, racist mold. Yeah, you can be really big on Letterboxd, a platform that only exists to review movies. Yeah, but, like, don't... I just don't understand the purpose in aggregating reviews. I don't understand why we got to the point on the internet of letting everybody review everything, because it's not useful. Exactly, it's not useful, because at the end of the day, the only thing that can determine whether or not you like something is if you experience it and make that determination for yourself. Yeah. Eternals, I watched, I enjoyed. It was very good. I do think we're hitting a weird saturation point in Marvel movies where every Marvel movie has to be end of the world stakes. Uh, Maybe we can dial that shit back. But that's a criticism, not of the movie and how it's made, but of the, the corporate vehicle that drives the movie. I... I just get so frustrated because like if you want to buy a product on Amazon, right? It's got 11,000 five-star reviews. Like I only read the one stars, but it doesn't matter, right? Like yeah. it doesn't matter how many five-star reviews that thing has. It's quality might still be terrible. It's true. Like it, it I feel like if people make their business of criticism for entertainment like a Roger Ebert or whatever, that's their thing. But I feel like aggregating the reviews of hundreds of thousands of people into one place isn't actually meaningfully useful. And the only positive thing, it'll the only meaningful thing it allows for is for shitty people to en masse make their opinion heard and impact the decisions of thousands of people. Oh, yeah, it's weaponized opinion. It's dumb. I I think that only certain people should review things. And I don't mean that's like there should be like a reviewer's license. I just mean we should deprioritize letting users review things. And then if people make their business of reviewing things, their audience may make a decision based on their recommendation, which is what criticism is meant for. Yeah, I I mean, uh, the the video, the YouTube personality, Dunkey, has a... Has a couple of videos about like video game criticism and his point is like, well, you guys know me, you know, I don't like JRPGs. So why the hell would you listen to my opinion about a JRPG? I'm going to be biased against it. But then you know that if I give it a high score, it must be pretty good. Like every reviewer has biases. And if you are a, a, like a critic for entertainment or you're like you're a personality critic, people are going to learn those biases and then they'll, they'll be able to judge your criticisms versus their own biases. We're all biased. At the, end of the, yeah, at the end of the day, no one should really listen to anyone else about if anything is good or not. I love The Spirit, a movie that critics commercial, or, or critically panned. But I think is actually a really good movie, and I will watch it anytime I can. Yeah, I, I, I just think that the only way for criticism to actually be meaningful for people is for people to have a relationship with the critic. And the, the way that we have it set up right now does not allow for that. No, it does not. And, and like, especially with user critics who don't even really have to publish anything, they publish just the the minimum word count with like a zero or a one or whatever to tank the score. And it's like, how how is that valuable to anybody? Yeah, I mean, 
anything we can do to keep from from platforming these psychopaths would would be a good thing. And speaking of deplatforming anybody, it's time for us, John, to deplatform ourselves by promoting our platforms. <laughs> Finally, I love to be deplatformed by prom- by promoting a platform. I'm going to put out a real incendiary stand-up special about it. Yeah, yeah. We're, and then we're, I'm going to fucking go back to a high school in my hometown and tell people they'll never amount to anything. What a pathetic behavior. Who did this? Don't worry about it. We'll talk about it later. Oh, you you stuttered over the D. It was Dave Chappelle, wasn't <laughs> it? It was. It was. All right. Well, John, tell tell people how they can deplatform us. Yes, you can deplatform and cancel us by going to our Twitter, the place for deplatformizations, cancellations, and bimboifications by going to at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com, which stands for Henry. That stands for Zeitgeist Cruisin' Pals Causin' Wholesale Holy... Jesus. <laughs> wow, it was really good for the first half. If you want to uh, send us an email, that's good in the first half and less good in the second half, like uh, Arcane, A League of Legends story, which I highly recommend streaming now on Netflix. The first half is better than the second half. It's really oh, good. The animation um, is incredible and the writing is quite good. Okay. Uh, you can send that, whatever I just said, to us, to our email address, to... Email at zerocredits.net. I almost edited one of these episodes because I thought we had the .com, but we don't. That's $1,700. We are on so many podcast services. Podchaser, Good Pods, Ear Buddies, <laughs> Spotify. Is that real? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts. I've been told that reviews on Apple Podcasts don't really matter that much. Did I miss any, Henry? I think you got them all. Um, also, Google Podcasts, whatever that's worth. Also, Google Podcasts. You can Google us a podcast. Remember when Google had that weird boat off the course, off the coast of California? No one ever found out what that boat was about. <laughs> what was that boat about, Google? But... <laughs> The best way for people to learn about the show is for you to tell them now that the world is opening up before we all all crushed by the Omicron variant. Omicra, Omicron, <laughs> Omicron, the Nomad Soul was a early 2000s video game starring David Bowie. That's right, because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your David Bowie about this podcast, and they'll listen. And from everyone here at the 6% Laptop Battery <laughs> Studios, God damn it. we got to wrap up this episode very quick. We just want to wish everyone a happy week. No Effort December, coming to you soon from Zero Credits. Well, now that's going on several hashtags. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.
We did it. 